If, if you don't know, if you haven't been here for a while or at all, we've been in the book of Philippians. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to chapter 1 of Philippians. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 1 tonight, and it should be, hopefully, uh, a good time in God's Word. It's a very encouraging book. It, it time and again, through the book of Philippians, Paul talks about joy and rejoicing and, and the things that we can actually look at in our life, even when they're difficult, and we can have joy, right? And we, we started this study off saying, you know, happiness and joy are similar, but they're not the same thing, right? They're totally different, actually, because happiness is tied directly to what's happening, right? If something bad is happening, you're, you're not going to be happy. If, if something good's happening, likely you'll be happy, but joy is something that's connected to the promises of God, Amen. right? And so whatever goes bad doesn't change God's promises. So we can have joy in the midst of the worst of it. And so, you know, if you don't really pay close attention and you read through the book of Philippians, you might think, man, this, this, is, a, this is a very joyful book. Well, it's, it's a joyful book because Paul's saying, look, I know life stinks for you guys. I know there's lots of persecution. I know there's a lot of difficulty, right? Our, our boy PJ, life is not great for PJ, but he has joy, right? He has joy because God's still there with him. God's still intervening. God's still proving to him, hey, I got you, bud, right? So he can have joy even in the midst of of terrible circumstances. And so that's actually what was going on for the Philippians. Life was really, really tough. And, And it was hard because they find out about Jesus. A bunch of them get saved. They give their lives to Christ. And, and the guy that taught them and led them, man, he has to, he has to skip town real quick. And so Paul comes back on a couple of visits trying to check in, and then he ends up writing this letter because he just didn't get to get them all the information that they needed, right? And so Paul is trying to encourage them. He's trying to let them know, hey, I'm encouraged. Even though I didn't get to tell you everything, I'm encouraged because I know God is not going to leave you alone. God is not finished working in you. He's not finished using you, and he's not finished teaching you. So you're going to be okay. Just keep sticking with what I taught you already, right? And, and, and God will give you more. And so that's, that's where we've been. And we finished last week with a statement in verse 21 of chapter 1, and it's, for, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. And we're going to see tonight that Paul is having this conversation kind of with himself, kind of with the Philippians, right? He's, he's like, you know, I kind of want to die, I kind of don't want to die. If I die, it'd be better because I go to heaven. If I don't die, then I get to hang with y'all, right? This, this, he's kind of to- tossing back and forth. And, and so this, this message, I'm just going to call it a, a life or death conversation. Right? It's, it's not a life or death situation. It's a conversation Paul's having with them. And then we'll see in a little bit how he's challenging them through what he's struggling with. And it always, always is going to come back to perspective, right? Paul can have joy in the midst of the worst circumstances, as he's writing from prison in Rome, right? he has joy and he's proclaiming to them the things they can have joy in because he, he sees things the right way. Right? He sees things through God's eyes. He th- sees things through, through God's perspective. And so we're going to read from verse 21 through the end of the chapter, verse 30. And so go ahead and if you're in there, go ahead and read along with me. We're in Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, 
having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let's go ahead and pray before we get into the notes. Lord, thank you um, for this incredible passage. Thank you for Paul's heart and his struggle and, and most of all the perspective he has. Whatever the scenario is, he understands how to look at it the right way. He understands how to see it through your eyes. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would gain that perspective. We'd be able to look at our circumstances the way that Paul looked at his. And we would be able to change our attitude and our actions accordingly. Uh, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for these folks coming out tonight. I thank you for those who couldn't make it, who are serving you somewhere else. And uh, we love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look through this. We're going to see a few different things that Paul is pointing out. The first thing that we see is Paul's conflict, right? And we saw that in verse 22. We'll read that again. It says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, which is an old way of saying I, I don't know. I don't know which one I'm going to choose. It kind of implies that, that God's giving Paul some sort of a choice. You, you want to stay, or you want to come home with me? Right? It, it kind of sounds like that. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Look, there's, there's nothing that's going to be better than, than that. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So the first thing he talks about here is the fruit of his labor, the fruit of Paul's labor is, is people, people that he has won for the Lord, right? And, and 2 Timothy 2.6 says the husbandman or the farmer that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. He, he gets first dibs. You know the awesome thing Paul got to enjoy? Everywhere he went, he led people to Christ and he instantly had that fellowship, right? And he was partaker of those fruits. He was able to, to be blessed because he was blessing people with eternal life, right? He was, he was sharing the, you know, the, the saving gospel with them. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8, this is, this is basically just uh, steps of growth and maturity. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So the first thing you want to add to, to your faith in Jesus Christ is virtue. Virtue just means to do what you know to do is right. right? He's going to show you a little bit, do that. And when he says you've done that, he says into virtue, knowledge, right? There's no reason to learn a whole bunch of stuff if you're not doing what you already know to do. So start with virtue, add knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, right? So ultimately, all of these virtues and these, these things that we're learning and in, in, in the process of maturity gets you to action towards others, Right? There's, there's brotherly kindness and then charity. 
to everybody else. Sacrificially giving of yourself. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If, if you have these things in your life, you will bear fruit. And, and you will be able to enjoy that fruit, just like Paul. All right, so the, that, the fruit of Paul's labor is the Philippians that he's writing to. That's, that's some of the fruit of his labor. He has this other weird phrase in there. He says he's in a straight betwixt two. Betwixt just means between. Two means two. It's a number, right? And straight just means he's, he's stuck, right? There's a saying, it's, still, it's kind of an old saying, between a rock and a hard place. Right? There's, there's two tough decisions, and I'm stuck in the middle. I don't know which one to go to. Uh, we see David talking about this, using the same term in 2 Samuel 24, 14. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. Right? So I'm in, this, I'm in a bind. I'd rather fall on the mercies of God. I don't want to fall into the hand of, of sinful man. Right, so the Bible is talking about two opposing forces. Paul is talking about two opposing desires. And it's almost like Paul has a death wish. Right? He has this drive pushing behind him to just go for broke no matter what it costs. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to read this one tonight because we've got to keep moving. But check this out sometime. I think it's on your sheet for you to reference later. Paul experienced a visit to the third heaven. He, he's talking in third person about himself. I knew a man who, who made it to the third heaven. I don't know if he was in the body or out of the body. I don't know how that thing worked. And then he gives this detailed account of what happened. And, and ever since that point, Paul's life was different. Paul's focus was different. His determination was different. And there was nothing going to stop him, even death, from getting back there. Right? I, I'm just going to go for it, and whatever you throw at me, if, if you kill me, well, I get to go back. That's great. Let, let's go ahead and do that, right? And so he's pushing the envelope, and God's protecting him and moving him just in time and moving him just in time again. And he goes to prison, and God gets him out, and he gets beat up, and he's still alive. It's, it's crazy what Paul goes through. And we see a lot of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That's 39. There's a lot of math in here tonight. Thrice, that's three, was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And night and day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, all of that stuff I just listed, besides all that, that which cometh upon me daily, I carry the weight of the care of all the churches. Right? Why would a guy who suffers all of those things for what he's doing for God continue to keep going? How does that not break his resolve? We see the answer in Acts chapter 20. We'll keep rolling here. This is just some, some history of Paul here for a minute. Acts 20, verses 22 to 27. This is Paul's goodbye to the church at Ephesus. His final goodbye. 
He had gone there several times. He spent about two years there at one time. It says, and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about bondage a week ago, right? Paul wasn't in bondage to Rome. He was bound to God. He was bound to the Holy Spirit and to Christ. It says, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth, witnesseth in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions abide me. Everywhere I go, that's what I get to look forward to, afflictions and bondage. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Paul's perspective is that I've got to do what God set me out to do. That's where the joy is at. The joy comes from being united with God, being step for step where he wants me to be. That's where the joy's at. There's no happiness. I'm miserable. I'm getting my tail kicked at every corner. They're, they're waiting to throw me in prison at the next city. But that's the only place joy is at. He wants to finish his course with joy in the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel, gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Right? He's saying goodbye. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Right? He's, he's able to say goodbye because he spent time there. He's invested everything. He's finished his course in Ephesus. So he's able to say goodbye. He's able to say, I, I don't have anything. I have no regrets. I only have joy Amen. from what I've invested in you guys. And I only have joy to look forward to, even though... It's going to be hard. The next chapter of Acts, chapter 21, verses 10 through 14, it says, And as we tarried there many days, there came, came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his, his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So, this guy comes in, he says, hey, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to lock you up. Here's Paul's response. And when he heard these things, both we and they of the palace besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He was ready to give it all. He knew what was coming. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. What else are you going to say, right? You've been warned from, you know, from a guy who's speaking from God, right? On behalf of God. This guy's got this prophecy. He knows what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit communicated with me. Paul said, hey, you go there. You're going to get locked up. It's probably the end, right? Paul says, I'm still on. Still got my ticket punched. I'm still going. And it's interesting, if you look in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9, Paul had a perspective and an understanding of what his calling actually meant. For I think that God hath set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed to death. Paul knew his calling as an apostle, as one of the ones who were going to establish the church at the very beginning, he knew it was going to cost him his life. And he was okay with that. He had already counted the cost. He had already gone all in. They had beaten him 
time and again, and he'd suffered all these other consequences because he was sharing the gospel, because the enemy, Satan, was trying to stop him, because the world didn't like what they were hearing. And Paul said, it's all right, I've, I've already got an appointment with death. And I've already seen what's on the other side, and I can't wait to get back. So, you know, quit telling me not to go to Jerusalem. You're, you're breaking my heart because I love you guys, and I want to be here with you, but, but I've already been sentenced. Paul understood he didn't have a death wish. He saw this as a, a perk of the job. <laughs> Somehow, everyone was watching this man give all for Christ. And so the second thing we see is Paul's confidence. Paul's confidence not, not just to go in guns blazing, right, and go, da- go down in a, a blaze of glory, the old Bon Jovi song. You guys are too, too young for that. But, but that's what he was doing, right? But he had confidence in something else. He says in verse 25 of our passage tonight, he says, having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance, for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So Paul would, would rather just be with Jesus, right? I love you guys, but Jesus is better. I mean, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. That's, that's an easy statement. He knows his ultimate destination, and he knows it's just a matter of time before something happens that sends him immediately there. What he realizes, though, is that if he's still alive, then God has a purpose. Right? He has confidence. Look, I'm still here. I'm supposed to be dead. So God has something else for me to do, so I'm just going to go do it. I'm already resolved. If, if I die, for me to live is Christ. If I'm going to be alive, then I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. To die, I'm going to go be with Christ. That's even better. You can't stop him. He, he couldn't be stopped. Paul would rather just be with Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking to Timothy. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul hadn't quite come to that point yet with the Philippians. He's still alive. He's still in contact with them. They still need something. Apparently, there's more to be done. He talks about furtherance of their joy, right? Philippians 1.12, we saw this uh, last week. He said, I would, uh, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Right? The, the gospel was spreading and growing. Paul needed the Philippians to grow. He needed their joy to grow. He also uses the phrase more abundant in verse 26. And we see in, in 1 Corinthians, we've for those of you that, that come to First Baptist, we've been going through First Corinthians. We just saw this passage. It says, And to the, those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. He's talking about the body of Christ and all the function, and not everybody gets all the attention. And some people work behind the scenes. right? For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part part which lacked. So Paul's saying, I want you to be more abundant in in your joy and rejoicing because because they have lack. God gives more abundance of something that is needed 
not just to have more, not, not just to, to pile it up. No, they're, they're having a lack. They're suffering, and they need an abundance of joy. So Paul understood that he was still alive. It had to be because somebody else lacked what Paul had to offer. Why are we alive? Right? We're, we're not the apostles beginning the, the very first part of the church. God hasn't sentenced us to that role, you know, Everybody's going to die unless Christ comes beforehand. That's, that's just statistics. More math for you. Right? One out of one. There's your ratio. One out of one of us are going to die. It's just facts. We understand that. But it's not necessarily tied to what we're doing for Christ. It, it's a little bit different. He has called us to suffer, though. We'll see that in a little bit. He says, I'm here. I'm still here because... Something I have is supposed to be given to the Philippians. Something I know is supposed to be taught to them. Something I own needs to be invested in them for them to be furthered, for the furtherance of their joy and faith and rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 1.24 says, not, that, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. All through chapter 1, we've already seen Paul has joy because of the fellowship that he has. He has joy because of the promises God has made. In the midst of suffering, Christ is preached, which gives Paul joy. And now he's talking about an abundance of rejoicing because we're in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, there's a couple of different places that it talks about being in Christ. One of them is, is chapter 1, verse 3. It's Paul's intro. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We have in Christ, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have spiritual blessings. And, and they're all through the word of God. Later on in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, And hath raised us up together, and hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So how can I be confident? I've made this statement once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you are in Christ, how, do, how can I make such a, a confident statement? Because he says here that I'm already seated in heaven. Amen. Is he going to take me out? No, he, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm already seated in heaven because I'm in Christ. You can take that to the, the first federal bank of the Lord, whatever. Amen. Just cash, cash that in. That's a done deal, right? That's a guarantee. That perspective should change your outlook on life. That's right. These truths should cause us to rejoice. Being in Christ, you know, we have a different perspective. Are you lacking in some area of your life? Well, then rejoice because you have no lack in what Christ can provide. Is your position in life getting you down? Then rejoice because you have a position in heaven guaranteed. Amen. It's, it's sealed. It's just waiting for us. As a matter of fact, spiritually, he says, we're, we're already there. We're in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. I don't fully understand how that works, and I'm excited to find out someday. But he says it's true. And Paul says that ought to be something that gets you rejoicing. That ought to get you an abundance of rejoicing. And the third thing we're going to see tonight is Paul's conviction. Paul's conviction. Paul has been 
kind of sort of having this conversation with himself and with the Philippians. Paul's conviction ought to equal a change in our conversation. Right? So Paul's conviction and our conversation are your blanks there. Our, our conversation, though, as defined biblically, is not just the things that we say to one another. We've seen this word come up a lot in here. Our conversation, as it's used in, in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, is the things that your life communicates. Right? You can have a conversation with your mouth, but this is talking about what is it that everybody sees you do? What is it that your lifestyle communicates? What is it that your decisions show everybody else? That's the conversation he's talking about. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. This word becometh is to be worthy of. So my life ought to display something that says to God that I'm worthy of the gospel. Well, none of us are None of us are worthy of what Christ did. But, but some change ought to happen after we submit ourselves to him as Lord, right? Something should be different after Christ comes to live inside of me. After the Spirit of God is inside of me, seals me, I'm his, I'm seated in heavenly places. If everything's the same, then something's messed up. And he says there is some things that you can do, that you should do, that should be an automatic reply that show that my life is becoming of the gospel of Christ. He says, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The first thing that shows that, that or we can show that we can be worthy of the gospel is, is fellowship. Through fellowship. Paul says, stand fast, strive together, one spirit, one mind. So how do you pull that off? Well, the only way to, to get fellowship is to be in agreement with God. The only way to keep fellowship is to fight for it. And, and it's hard work. You've got to fight against yourself. You've got to fight against this world system. You've got to fight against everything that disagrees with God. Amen. And unfortunately, sometimes I disagree with God, and I have to fight against that. He says, strive together. That word strive is strife. It means fighting. It means battling. You have to get together and fight for this unity. It's that important, and it's that difficult. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, shows us the three main enemies of our unity. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened means, means to be made alive. He has made you alive. You used to be dead because of your trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There's your first enemy. It's Satan. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, who we're no longer a part of, if we're in Christ. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh. I skipped the, the course of this world would, would be our second enemy. Um, the third one is our conversation used to be in times past in the lusts of our flesh. The third enemy is my own flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. 
others. So we have to fight for unity because the enemy wants us divided. We have to fight for unity because this world is against God. And it will draw you with it if you don't fight against what it says. And even again, my own flesh will fight against God's word when I just don't feel like it. When, when I'm just feeling selfish. We have to fight against the devil, we have to fight against the world, and we have to fight against our own flesh to be unified with God and one another. We must strive together, it says. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So, if I'm joined to the Lord, and, and you're joined to the Lord, and you're in, in agreement with him and what his word says, and I'm in agreement with, with him as well, then, then we're unified. Even if you don't like my personality. That, that's the stuff you got to fight. Because your pet peeves and my pet peeves and they clash and we fight that thing because that's the flesh. Right? We have to fight for it. So if you're okay with God and I'm good, it's more math, right? If A plus C equals B plus C, then A equals B. It's just simple math. Don't think about that too long. <laughs> I can write it down for you later. It's just simple math, right? If I'm good with God and you're good with God, we're good with one another. Amen. And if something's not good there, then one of us isn't good with God because he didn't change. Right. One of us changed. Yeah. Forget the math part. That's all you need to know. The second way, so, so through fellowship, is one way we can show ourselves worthy of the gospel by fighting to be unified with God, you're worthy of the gospel. It's worth it. It's what you have to be about. The second thing is through faithfulness. He says, by nothing terrified of your adversaries. You know what the opposite of fear is? The opposite of fear is faith. Right? The reason the Jews could not go into the promised land was because they lacked faith and they had an abundance of fear. God promised and promised and promised and proved and proved and proved his capability not only to foretell the future, but to make it happen exactly as he said it would. And they went in and saw exactly what he said they would see, and they didn't believe he could conquer the giants. The fear was bigger than the faith. So faithfulness is what's going to keep us from fearing our enemies. And last week we saw there was some people who responded to Paul's bondage with no fear of the Lord and other people who responded to his bondage with no fear of men. So the question we have to ask ourselves is where do you stand? Who are you more afraid of? What people might do or say to you or what God says to do? 1 Samuel 2.10, the adversaries, this, this ought to encourage us, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Make sure you're on the right side. Out of heaven he shall thunder upon them. That sounds bad. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Do you fear the Lord, or you do, do you fear your adversary? Maybe your adversary, maybe what gets you down or has you down is some sort of physical ailment. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just anxiety. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe, maybe it's just mean people. Who are you afraid of? Who controls your decisions? Psalm 109, 
there's not time to go through the whole thing, but we're going to hit a few verses. This, this is an awesome psalm. You need to check it out. Verses 1 through 5. Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. This is David crying out to God. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about, also with words of hatred, and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. What is David's love? It's God. It's God's word. But I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. See, in the verses we just read in Philippians, it says that our confidence in God and our confidence in the gospel and our lack of fear of our enemy is an evident token of perdition to them. Perdition is wickedness. The world, when you stand with God, is going to be against you. And they're going to convince themselves and they're going to try to convince everybody else that Christianity is evil. There's a massive movement against God's word. And it's always been that way. And if you stand with God's word and you hate nobody and don't want anything bad to happen to anybody, if you stand with what God says, they're going to call you evil. They are already convinced of it. Verses 28 through 31 of the same passage. Let them curse, but bless thou. He's, he's asking God for a blessing. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame. Let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. When you fight against God, that's what you're going to end up with. Confusion. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save him from those that condemn his soul. What side are you on? Because you can fear the enemy all day long, but they have no strength against God. They, they're a loud, barking dog right? whose bite, at worst, can send you to heaven with your king. Amen. That's the worst they can do. They can't send you to hell, but the king can. We saw that verse last week. Evident token of perdition. Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When you stand with the Lord, you stand against evil. What you do with your life displays who you fear. Your decisions, your actions, the things that you do and say, if they don't match, it shows who you're afraid of. It shows who you respect and fear. And he's talking about salvation. Again, we saw in verse 19, he was, he was confident that his salvation would come from the prison. Right? He would be saved from those bonds. 1 Peter 1, 7-9 talks about trials. But the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In the midst of trials, Peter says the same thing Paul's saying. You can have so much joy that you don't even know what to say about it. Joy unspeakable. I don't even know how to express this thing. Receiving the end of your faith, here's the perspective, the salvation of your souls. Because 
whatever the enemy can throw at us, is only temporary. It could be a long temporary. You know, the the word long-suffering is a thing. It's nothing that we want to import of, but but it's a thing. right? It exists, but it's temporary. And the salvation of your soul is not. So we can... We can display our worthiness of the gospel by our fellowship that we fight for, by faithfulness, and, and through affliction. Now, if that, if that bothers you that I didn't alliterate, <laughs> just leave the A off and put some T County on that thing and just say affliction. <laughs> fellowship, faithfulness, affliction. Is that better? It's not really that's not really better, is it? But we're gonna move on. Luke nine twenty three. He said unto them all, this is Christ speaking, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Amen. And that's a hard calling, isn't it? Man, many people just want to be set free and left alone. Just, just set me free of the bondage so I can do and think and say what I want when I want. Christ has asked us to follow him. And if we're going to follow him, it requires you pick something up on the way. Every single day. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow him. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. Amen. See, if I get up every morning and I pick up my cross, the old man is gone. He's a dead man. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. This kind of sounds like Paul's dilemma, doesn't it? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I am, present tense, crucified. Christ said, take up your cross daily. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Suffering for Christ isn't a punishment. It's an honor. It's an opportunity. It's our calling. And it should lead us to our conclusion, which is at the end of your sheet there. Paul's conversation with himself should lead us to a change in the conversation that our life displays. The conversation that our life has with the world around us should be changed because of what we see Paul struggling with here. And that should drive us to a conclusion. Verse 30, Paul says, Apparently, these guys he's writing to, they, they had or they were having the same conflict which he saw in me. When, when they saw Paul, he was going at it hard and got thrown in prison and beat up, right? Because it was to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul was already living it out in front of these guys. Having the same conflict which he saw in me, now here to be in me. We have that same conflict, he's saying. We long for the day that all of this struggle is over. And we can just go be with the Lord. That's just going to be better. And that day isn't here yet. So we're not done yet. The Lord's not done with us yet. 
we're still here, so there's somebody that needs to know what you know. There's somebody that needs you to invest what you have. There's somebody that needs you to love on them because they have lack of love. Right? They're, they're severely lacking, and we need to pour abundant measure on them. We're, we're still here because the Lord hasn't finished working yet. We saw three enemies in Ephesians chapter 2, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. Those three are thieves, right? And, and the main thief we see in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Amen. That thief is Satan. He, he wants to stop everything that God's doing. He wants to divide what God wants together, what God wants unified. What about the other two thieves? Galatians 6.14. I always think, when I'm thinking of these other two thieves, I think of the two crosses beside Christ. He was in the middle, and there was two thieves, one on either side. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm focused on that middle cross where Christ was. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's, that's the other two thieves, isn't it? The world and my flesh. Those are the other two thieves. Those are the other two enemies. Satan is defeated by what Christ did on the cross. And the other two enemies are defeated by my focus on the cross. When I don't lose sight of him and what he's done, and I'm willing to pick up my cross and carry it daily, he says those other two, they're, they're dead. They're done for. The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He gained victory over death and hell and the devil. When I glory in the cross, the other two are crucified out of my life. And there's nothing that can stop us then. The conflict that we should share with Paul is what we saw in chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. If I'm still here, that's what's going to happen. That's what's Paul, what Paul's saying. If I'm still here and I'm still alive, he shall be magnified by this body. I'm going to put him on display, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I know that all of this is easy to say. All of this is easy to, to want to do, and it sounds very romantic, but when, when the pain is real, when the enemy is real, when, when we're facing adversity, all of this stuff gets muddy. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence that Paul had, the confidence to just keep pressing forward, knowing that we have hope, knowing that, that what you've promised is bigger than any enemy that we face, knowing that you're here with us, and that when we suffer, it's an opportunity to put you on display. We love you, Lord. We ask for practical ways to live this out. We ask for you to remind us when we're in the midst of difficulty 
that these promises are here, and so are you. We love you and pray that this last song is, is also glorifying to your name. In Christ's name I pray, amen.